made a way for you. Remain standing. Come on. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Has he ever made a way for you? Has he ever lowered the mountains for you? You know, in Jesus, just remain standing for just a moment. And for Jesus, whenever he was being announced and when he was coming, they were talking about how that they would lower the mountains and they would raise the low places and the high places would be brought low. And the whole point of that was in ancient times when a king, you've probably heard this before, but when a king would be coming into a region, he would send out a forerunner and he would let the region know that he was on his way, that the king was on his way. And the people of that region would go to great pains to prepare an easy a place to travel for the king and they would get together and if there were mountains you can study this out if there were mountains and hills and things in the way of of the route that he needed to go they would literally go in and many times they would refer to it as the king's highway you've probably heard that expression before they would go in and they would cut out the high place to make it level and if they would come to a low place that would be hard to to cross over they would build it up if there were crooked ways they would straighten the road out and that's what they did for Jesus now let me just transpose that over into your life for just a moment we serve a good God somebody say amen and the mountains that we have in our lives God can remove them come on the low places that are you're dealing with in your life right now God can fill them up all of the crookedness, all of the things that are distracting and all of the things that are uh, uh, creating just distractions and, and hardship in your life, the Lord can straighten it out. The Bible even talks about how he can make a way in the desert. He'll make a way in the desert. I can go on and on and on, but I want you to know that these mountains that we're singing about tonight, they tie in so perfectly with my message because at the end of my message, the Lord revealed to me a scripture that when I began to study it out and, and, and got the interpretation of it and exactly what all it meant, it just brought joy to my soul. Somebody say amen. God is able to bring the mountains low in your life. God will make a way. Give our praise team a hand clap for a fantastic job. Job well done tonight. You can be seated. Normally I would come up here and I would have... Uh, a scripture text that they would put on the overhead and I just really didn't feel led to do that tonight because uh, tonight's message is going to be very simple. I don't expect I'll be up here for very long. It's really just something that the Lord has, has laid in, in my heart. Uh, I don't want to call it a devotion at all. It's not a devotion, but it's just something, a simple truth. And I've been studying the lives of a few people as the Lord revealed some things about their life and how it would apply to my life. And, and as I was beginning to study this out, uh, I actually taught some of this to my class on Wednesday night, and I think, that the, I think that it will bless your soul. And that's why I'm bringing this to you tonight. The title of my message is just simply this, While We Wait. How many of you know waiting can be one of the most painful, difficult things you can ever go through in your life? You can have promise, and you can have uh, visions, and you can have dreams and you can have directions and you know it's things coming down the pike. You know that you know that you know certain things that God has for you. But the waiting is oftentimes what is most difficult. Many times it's not getting the dream. It's not getting the vision. That can be difficult. But 
But once you have it, the anticipation of it and seeing it come to pass and going through life as, as usual, life as normal, and trying to make sense of it and when is it going to happen, how many of you know that can be a difficult thing? Come on, somebody. The waiting and, and the waiting, that's a hard thing to live by. And as I begin to study this out, there are many different scripture texts that I could use to kind of reinforce my message. But we're going to look at a few people and their lives. Um, and when it comes to waiting, I want to just make a, a statement here that as a whole, we are very impatient people. Come on, somebody. We're impatient people. If you aren't, you're probably married to one. Somebody that is. And I think that we really have lost the art of waiting. Things that get promised to us, we expect to see come to pass quickly. We understand that whenever you call in an order at a restaurant and you say, how long is it going to be before it's ready? Well, give us 15, 20 minutes. When you show up, you expect it to be ready, right? 15, 20 minutes. And if you show up and it's not done, we get offended because we feel like we've been lied to. We feel like somebody is taking advantage of somebody's not holding up their end of the bargain. And so therefore we wait and we expect things when, when something is promised to you and a timeline is given, we're impatient to see it come to, to pass. Like I mentioned about fast food and all these different kinds of things. How many of you know that Amazon no longer does two day shipping? That's a thing of the past. You know, that's why people, you know, signed up for the Amazon Prime. Two-day shipping. It, it, I mean, it hooked us in. We did. And now you can't get that anymore. And so when you order something, there's all this waiting for things to come in. And those are just kind of some simple, silly things. But here's the thing. When specific promises are made, when those promises are not lived up to in our mind's eye, in our interpretation, when they should happen, we get upset. And what happens is, is that when we look in Scripture, there are very few people, I have found this out to be true in my study, that there are very few people that seem to experience precise, laid-out promises with a timeline and the nature of the promise specifically laid out for them. Very few people. Now, that may come as a, somewhat of a shock, but I think this will make sense to you as we go on tonight. And here's what happens. If you knew that you knew that you knew that you had a promise over your life and the Lord came and said, okay, in five years' time, this is what's going to happen. You are going to do this. This will come to pass. You're going to live here. You're going to do... And the Lord began to just lay out every single detail and plan. There would be a level of comfort in that because you could set back and you could, you could somewhat wait on life to pass you by until you arrive at that specific place. Am I, am I making sense? There is a level of comfort in that if you know specifically exactly when so, what something is and when it is coming and how it will come about. But how many of you know oftentimes God does not move like that? The majority of the time, God does not come down and just write out, transcribe some kind of a plan exactly how everything is going to plan out. God just in his infinite wisdom, many times he does not do that. However, when you look at scripture, there are some people that did have, uh, that knew what was coming down the pike. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to endure. He knew exactly the things that he was going to suffer. In fact, uh, Hannah brought it up to my attention the other day. She said, did you ever think about the fact that the night before Jesus was betrayed, he was washing the feet of his betrayer? 
The night before Jesus was betrayed, knowing what was going to happen, knowing what was getting ready to come to pass, that weighing on his heart, weighing on his mind, he was still washing the feet of his betrayer. Imagine how that, that waiting and imagine how all that knowing what was going to come to pass weighed on him in, in a human sense. Paul understood many of the things, not everything, but many of the things that he would suffer before he ever went to Caesar. In fact, when you look at the book of Acts, the Bible points out that the Lord took Paul into Arabia. Why? To show him the things he must suffer. That's kind of shocking. Imagine the Lord comes down and says, okay, I've got a great plan for your life. You're going to stand before Caesar one day. Now let me show you everything that you're going to suffer and endure before you do go. No thanks. Come on, somebody. Am I making sense? Abraham knew that one day he would have a son and that his seed would be as numerous as the stars, but he waited a long time. And we know how he tried to step in in a humanistic sense and, and bring God's plan to pass. David knew that he would one day be king, but he waited 50 year, or 15 years from the time that he was anointed until that came to pass. 15 years he waited. He just had to sit back and he had to abide. Now, I can go on and on. There's some people that had some specific things. But when I studied the life of Joseph, there was some truth that come out of the life of Joseph that I studied. I want to bring this out to you tonight. And again, we're just hitting on a couple of quick things on these people. If you want to study the life of Joseph, you can find it in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. And I think most of us probably fit in, in line with Joseph. I think most of us have lives that kind of fit in line in, in, in terms of the generic kind of a promise that he got. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Well, if you know anything about Joseph, and I'm just hitting some of the high points here very quickly, he had a dream that one day his brothers would bow before him. He had a dream that not only his brothers, but also his father, it was, it was referred to later on in chapter 37 or 30, uh, 38, I think it is, where it talks about how the sun and the stars would bow down before him. That being in reference to his father and his brothers would bow down before him. And his father, and of course his, his, his father and his brothers were actually you know, shocked by that. They were, they were angered by that. You all know the story. I'm sure most of you do. But the Bible points out that his father kind of rebuked it for him, but the scripture also says that he kind of held that truth in the back of his head. Knowing that Joseph had an important dream, but it, it didn't really make any sense. They couldn't make sense of it at the time. Okay, so, so these people are supposed to bow down before you. What does that even mean? And this dream was degrading to his older brothers, but Joseph didn't understand that the dream, exactly what it meant or how it would come to pass or when it would come to pass. He did not understand the journey that he was going to have to take in his life or what it would cost him. Anybody else ever been there before? Come on. Y'all are dead tonight. Reach over and punch your neighbor lightly in the arm. Wake him up a little bit. There you go. If you have to, pinch him. That'll, that'll get him away. He did not understand the journey and what it would take in his life and what it would ultimately cost him. He didn't see what was coming down the pike. Now, God in his wisdom has reasons for not letting us know all that, that stuff. But understand, Joseph at that time did not have a specific dream to hold on to about his future. He did not have all the details to hang on to to bring this thing to pass. And let me just stop and say, he was in this holding pattern. He was in this waiting pattern. 
He did not have the answers for everything that was going to come to pass. And how many of you know that can be scary? That's why people, I think, many times always want a word of God or a prophecy over their life. Come on. Am I making sense? Listen, I am not, I'm not bringing the hammer down, but we as Pentecostals, that's what we want. That's what we expect. God gives us a vision. He gives a dream. And when God doesn't answer with all of the details, we go to the man or the woman of God. We go to the prophet. We want somebody to prophesy over and fill in the gaps of what's going to happen. Am I making sense? That's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to reach out. We're trying to get some understanding. We're trying to see a timeline. We're trying to get some hope in all of this kind of stuff. We're looking for these things to provide some context, to provide a timeline, to give us some hope. But if it doesn't come, hear me now, if that, if that prophecy does not come the way you want it to come or that gap being filled in does not come the way you want it to come, it does not mean that God has forgotten you or that you are lost. Come on. It does not mean that God has not remembered you in fact, it's in moments like that you've got to go back to the dream. And for Joseph, in the middle of all of his trials, you know the story? In prison for a total, I think, of, 30, of 13 years and going through being lied on and all the stuff that he went through, the only thing he had to hold on to was that dream. But he didn't have all the specifics for it. And maybe sometimes all you can say is, God, all, I, all I've got is a dream. All I have is a dream. Maybe God will give you a specific understanding, but he'll also give you grace for the meantime. God will give you grace for the meantime. God has a plan. He has his own timeline. He has his own agenda in the sense of how he wants to bring things to pass, and we are to be his servants and allow him to bring it to pass. Listen, God will tell you what he wants you to know. You just have to believe that. You have to trust that. Somebody say amen. Now, we do have... In Scripture, we have what I call general promises. Uh, somebody I heard the other day, they said that there are over uh, 7,000 promises in Scripture. 7,000 promises in Scripture. And some people say, well, all, all those promises don't always apply to us as Christians. Well, listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are spiritual Israel. We are spiritual Israel. So I'm going to claim as many of those promises for myself as I possibly can. Come on, somebody. If, if we are spiritual Israel, it is for us as well. But we have general promises in Scripture like Romans 8.28. We quote it all the time. That he will cause all things to work for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's a very general promise, but it is a promise. So that when I am going, I'm, I'm trying to see my dream or my vision or my plan or this God-given thing come to pass. If I don't have specifics for it, all I can do in that moment is stand back and say, God, I know that you are working out all things for my good. I don't have the road map in front of me to see, but I have to trust and believe that you are taking me there, and I might not even know it. Joseph found that out later on in his life. Now listen, Joseph didn't have the writings of Paul. He didn't have the writings of Paul. He didn't have the book of Romans to quote from. He didn't have that general promise to quote from, to, get, to, to build him up in his own faith, yet I'm sure that he knew that God can and will cause all things to come to pass that he wants to come to pass. This was the experience of Joseph. All he had was a dream that his brothers would bow before him. That's hardly specific. That's hardly a detailed plan. 
He didn't know that someday he would be the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. He had no clue that God was going to bring it to pass. He had no idea at the beginning of that that he would spend 13 years in prison for something he didn't even do. He had no clue. He had no idea that he would be lied on and sold into slavery. That's hardly the kind of promise any of us would sign up for. Come on, somebody. Yet there was no assurance mentioned from God that his life's direction would turn around. Now, we know ultimately it did, but that took years for that to come to pass. And Joseph waits, and he waits, and life happens the good and the bad and everything in between, yet he waits and he keeps waiting. There was a waiting that Joseph experienced that he didn't fully understand what he was waiting on. But he would know when the vision and the dream would be accomplished when it happened. He would see it come to pass. Listen, we wait. Waiting is hard. The inactivity of everything can be seemingly pointless in life and it can almost drive you crazy. It can make you think that you don't matter or that God really doesn't care or take notice of you. By the way, that's a lie of the enemy if you didn't know that. We wait on God while life happens around us. There's financial struggles. There's relationship issues. You can feel angry. You can feel betrayed. The fact is we all are like Joseph at some time or another in our lives. Listen, God has a plan and a vision and the dream even in the middle of a pandemic. Even in the middle of all of the craziness, you have to get to the point where you realize, I was born for such a time as this. And it may not make any sense. You may not see how God is going to bring some things to pass in your life, but you have to go back to the promise that, God, I don't have all the details, but I'm going to wait on you anyway. Come on, somebody. Listen, everybody says, well, yeah, this is for the younger generation. I know there's some older people in the church that's got some visions. I know there's some older people in the church that have some dreams. They want to see things come to pass, maybe in their family, maybe, maybe in their retirement years. They want to do something different for the Lord. They've got visions and they've got dreams. But we've all been like Joseph at some point. We come to a place where we say, God, it really doesn't make any sense. God, where are you leading me? Are you leading me? Why has the Lord seemed so far from me? That's the thing. That's, that's the thing. When we're waiting, many times we feel like God isn't there. Come on, somebody. That's what's hard. When we're waiting and things aren't happening on our timeline, we feel like that God isn't even there, but He is there. He is there. How do I know? Well, the Scripture says He will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. That's a promise. You've got to accept it. Even David, now we talked about Joseph. Let me hit on some of these other. David, I thought this was a powerful truth. You look at King David in Psalms chapter 22, verse, verse 1. He experienced something. The Bible, uh, the things that I studied, commentaries and whatnot that I studied, nobody could really uh, give a clear description on what happened to cause David to say this and write this down, this particular, this particular psalm. Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. But he experienced something in his life that made him cry out the very statement that Jesus himself would cry out while he was on the cross. The very statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You remember Jesus making that statement? 
Why are you so far from me, from helping me and from the words of my groaning? You see, David from his youth felt God's hand on him, leading him the entire time. But at this point, God seems so distant. How many of you have ever been a time in your life where God just seems to be a million miles away? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Where where you, you almost say to yourself, God, why have you forsaken me? This is exactly what David experienced. He went through something at that moment in his life that caused him to literally identify with Jesus Christ. And Jesus identified with him. There was this waiting. There was this, this, this pain that they were going through. We say to ourselves, God, where are your promises? God, why am I going through all this? David lived, get this, David lived in the promises of God for so long, it was foreign to him to feel empty. He didn't know how to handle that. He didn't know how to take it. He had been in the presence of God so much of his life and experienced God's hand on his life so much that when God seemed to withdraw it, He didn't know how to handle it, and now he was waiting until the Lord would return that. This same David, that God helped him to fight a lion, to fight a bear, to fight Goliath, that Samuel the prophet prophesied over him that he would one day be king, he understood what it was to wait on the Lord. What about Elijah? Here's another one. Elijah had a heart for God. He wanted to see God glorified. He wanted to see Israel's heart return fully to the Lord. He prayed for Israel to be spiritually restored. And he believed God would do it. He knew God could and would eventually. But his prayer, get this, he was praying earnestly. He desired God to do it. But his prayer was met with a drought. Are you all hearing me? His prayer, his earnest prayer, his heartfelt desire. You know, people would look at him and say, man, that is a man of God. Man, he's got it all together. He's got a longing for God. His heart's in the right place. Only for that spiritual man to have his prayer answered with a drought and seemingly go a totally different direction. You can find that in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. But God was using this drought as a way to force the people to think about what they were doing, to evaluate their condition. Let me just stop and say, does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to where we are as a nation right now? Where finances are drying up. Come on. Where all the social conditioning and all, all these issues going on in America and around the world, where God is, is, has allowed us as a people, us as a nation, us as a world, to get to the point to where God is forcing us to think about what we have been doing. Let me just go on a little soapbox right here. And I'm, I'm going to do my best not to go into particulars. But how many of you have heard? I'm not trying to get all up in your business. But I can tell you, uh, I think it was yesterday we did. How many of you have heard about the, stu- the, the movies that come out called Cuties? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Listen. Some of you need to look this up. And one of the streaming services is carrying this movie, and it's, it's about um, uh, basically the exploitation, sexual exploitation of young girls, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls. 
And the whole, it's couched, it's this documentary, it's couched in, in this coming of age movement, this coming of age of these young girls experiencing life and their sexuality and all this kind of stuff. That's how they're trying to couch it as being some kind of a service that they're providing. But I want to tell you something, for what I have been told, I have not watched it, but what everybody's told me, it is disgusting and it's basically child pornography. And you say, well, Josh, why are you bringing all, all this kind of stuff into your mission? Because here's my thing. That's a real-life example of where we as a people, and especially the house of God and the church of God, has got to stop and say, are we really going to support this kind of stuff? Where we get to this place to where God has, has backed us into a corner with everything going on to our life, where God is saying, I am putting you into a position to where you're going to have to address some things. Where we as a church, where we as a people are going to have to address them. And I just want you to know, I canceled my subscription. It's disgusting. People are going through a spiritual drought. It's at this time that you'll find that God sends Elijah to the brook Cherith. He gets away from people. He's isolated from people. And God in that moment is dealing with him and and, and, and ministering to him and providing for him. He was isolated. The brook chariot provided the water. The Bible talks about how ravens would bring him the meat. And basically, it was subsistence living. How many of you, whenever you, you try and step into the will of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God, want to just get by with subsistence living? Oh, God, I can't wait to just get by. Come on, I'm being for real. Lord, I can't wait to just get by in life, but this is where he found himself. All along, Elijah must have been asking and wondering, what are you doing, God? I know you have the power. I know you can do this. Why don't you use it? And I believe God was using, proving to Elijah that he could provide for him in the wasteland and in the desert. And I'm going to tell you, there's some people that need to know God's going to provide for you in this desert time. He's going to provide for you in this desert time. Somebody say amen to that. If not for you, for somebody else. And I believe God was preparing Elijah for a showdown with Jezebel. Let me just stop right here. I believe that the church, and this is prophetic, I believe that the church, is God is causing the church to get ready for a showdown with modern day Jezebel. Now just let that sink in. I'm not a prophet. I don't claim to be. But that's what God is doing. He is getting his church prepared and pure. The Bible says judgment starts in the house of God. And he is purifying his church. He is trying to get the church's attention. And there is an entire Jezebel nation and world going on around us. And there is going to be a confrontation. You hear me now? There's already a confrontation. I heard just the other day that a small church somewhere up in the northern part of, of, um, of California... Because of the local constraints, not even the state of California, but the local constraints, the local ordinance on that church, they said that, that they could not worship, uh, worship in person. We know that. We see that in many states and regions going on in the United States right now. But in this particular area, they put out a notice and they let the church know. They said anybody, whether the pastor or the board or the church members, the elder, it didn't matter. Anybody attends worship at this church or any church in this particular area, if you come together to worship, you are subject to one year imprisonment and a $10,000 fine per person, and they're consecutive. So in other words, every time you go to church, it's an additional year and $10,000 fine. That's in the United States. You say, oh no, that's China. No, friends, 
That's here. We've been screaming and preaching for years and years and years that it's coming. It's here. It's on us. This is the kind of confrontation with all this Jezebel nonsense. The, the devil is trying to shut the church up. And if he can get God's people to give up on their dream and get impatient and try and force something to happen outside of the plan and the purpose and the will of God, then it's going to bring about disaster. But there is a showdown coming. And every family and every person is going to have to make up their mind how they're going to serve the Lord in this day and time. You see, this was a dry place, but it was toughening Elijah. He was getting tough in this moment. God was preparing him for what was to come. That no matter what comes, God would not forsake him or leave him in his suffering. I found a quote the other day that I want to use. I'm about to bring this thing to a close. I told you I wouldn't be up here long tonight. John Piper, he gave a quote in reference to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. He was talking about suffering. Hang with me here. You need to hear this. This is a powerful quote. He says, the text tells us to rejoice in suffering. The text doesn't just say rejoice in spite of, but because of suffering. This is not a little piece of advice from the power of positive thinking. Let's make the best of it, or let's rise above it, or let's be heroic, or let's, some, let's have some kind of mind over matter here. He said the point is, is this. And this is what's powerful, church. He says the point is, is this. You're being called to do something that is so abnormal and so countercultural and so against human nature that it is supernatural and you cannot do it on your own. We are at a place and a point in time in our history, in this nation, in this world, where God has called us to engage in suffering. And we don't know how to suffer well. Come on. There's going to be some inconveniences in this thing while we wait. Everybody wants the Lord to return. Raise your hand. There's still some waiting to do, though. My dad tells me all the time, he said, Josh, I pray that the Lord returns tomorrow. But he said, I'm afraid he won't. I'm afraid he's not going to come. Not that the Lord's never going to come, but he means it's going to be drawn out. That in the meantime, there's going to be a lot of stuff to go through while we wait. While we wait. What do we do while we wait? You see, Elijah knew what it was to feel beaten down, defeated, depressed, in facing Jezebel, in the little faith that he had in the little resources and the little necessities of life. But God used him and provided for him to prepare and help others. That's what the Lord's calls in the church to do right now. You see, when this revival comes that we keep preaching and that we keep talking about, when it comes, understand that the people that it's going to bring into the church house, they're not going to be full of faith. Everybody expects this revival that everybody's just going to be jumping and shouting and dancing coming over, you know, the, the bypass out here, that everybody's going to just be excited. No, listen, the people that's going to come into the church house at that moment, they're going to be beat down and defeated. They're going to be looking for answers. Are you hearing me, church? We expect it to be like some old-time revival, you know, from way back when, the tent revival, where everybody's just jumping and shouting. And listen, there may be some of that. There ain't going to be nothing wrong with it. But the people that are coming in, they are going to be broken and wounded and hurt. They're not going to have any resources. They're not going to have any money. They're not going to have any answers. And what are we going to do? That's when the revival is going to come. Just the other day, I was, I was talking to Ben Henson. 
in class on Wednesday night, and he brought up a good point. I hope I'm not misquoting him here, but basically he said that recently he was at a bookstore and he was over in the religious section and he said where they keep the Bibles, where they were selling the Bibles, he said, thankfully, he said he was impressed by it. He said it really touched his heart. It blessed him that they were out of Bibles. They, they, they were out of Bibles. And he said he realized that people are looking for answers. People are buying up Bibles. They're looking for answers. You know, after 9-11, we just... We just had the memorial for 9-11. How many of you lived through 9-11? You, you remember it. Some of you young people went, well, you lived through it. And we remember what a traumatic, horrible experience that was for our nation. Think of it this way. Over 3,000 people died in that. Most of the great financial minds of our nation were killed in that moment. Because in the Twin Towers, that's where some of the, the great banks and the great uh, you know, investment companies and all this kind of stuff, that's where they did business. And all the brainiacs and all the smart people that dealt with all the hedge funds and all that kind of stuff, they were gone. Killed them all. And it literally brought this nation to its knees temporarily. And there was unity. And for about five or six months after that moment, the church, you, how many of you remember this? I remember it. Churches were full. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. But here's what didn't happen. Everybody shouts and says, oh man, people come to the church house. But you know what? There was no repentance. People wanted answers. People wanted comfort. But there was really no repentance. Very little Repentance. And so then people stepped right back out into the world and for the next several years they began to do the stuff and it just got worse and it got worse and it got worse. 2008, the financial crunch hit, brought the nation down, the housing bubble, the burst, brought us down again and now here we are. And we've never encountered anything quite like this. Oh, we've had wars and we've had pandemics in the past in our nation's history. We've had financial struggle. But man, we've not had all of it at one time. We've not had a double and triple whammy like what we're going through. This is unprecedented, what we're going through as a whole. And everybody, as we're going through it, is waiting. We're in this holding pattern. We're trusting the Lord we want to serve the Lord. How many of you really want to serve the Lord through this? You want to come out the other side better for it. You want to serve the Lord. You want to grow. You want to develop. You want to mature through this. Of course you do. And God is putting, this church, putting our church and the church as a whole, putting the leaders, your leaders, whether you realize it or not, so that we can say to the world, we've been there, we've endured, we've faced these things. And where God can take nothing and make something so that when the rest of the world comes in, when the rest of the world comes into the church house, we are ready to help lead them. Listen, understand, I'm about to bring this to a close if the musicians would come. I know this has been kind of a, a sobering message tonight, but I want you to understand, and you've got to take this by faith, just as all these people that I mentioned to you tonight did. Elijah, David, Joseph, all the different ones we mentioned. There is a purpose behind your battle. There is a purpose behind your pain. There is a purpose behind the struggle. How many of you really believe that? You have to believe it. You have to believe it that this is for a, for a purpose. You might not understand it, and you may not ever understand it, to be honest with you. 
I'm not so sure that when we get to heaven, we're going to know everything. God might just say, well, there's some things you're never going to know. I'm not going to tell you. It's none of your business. I don't know. There's some things we may not ever understand. We know what the scripture says in Isaiah 55 where the Lord says, that, but my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Or he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. We don't understand why we go through some of the stuff we do. So while we wait, it's really about trust. It's really about trust in the Lord. Amen? It's really about trusting God. God is faithful. He will be with you. He will be faithful to me. He will be faithful to you. He'll be faithful to your family. He'll be faithful to your marriage. He'll be faithful to your kids. He'll be faithful to your mind. He'll be faithful to your finances. I can go on and on and on. Why? Because there's 7,000 promises in Scripture that, that let me know the kind of God I serve. I know of His character. I don't have a specific laid out plan and odds are you don't either. But we know God is a good God. We know his character. We know there are specific promises. And so while we wait, while we wait for this thing to stop, this pandemic and all this nonsense, we wait and we serve the Lord anyway. Closing, I want to say this. I told you earlier in this message that I would, I would get to this, this talk about the mountains. Understand, and you got to accept this by faith, that God is putting within you what you'll need to get through this trial and any trial before you. He is putting within you, through your struggles, what you will need to get through this trial and any other trial that you face. He is putting His strength in you. So instead of asking why, as I have often done, you got to say somewhere along the line, God, I trust you or I don't trust you you got to answer that question for yourself. Lord, I don't understand all this, but then again, I don't have to. Come on. My kids, you know, in the past, they'll come and, and, and I'll tell them to do something or, you know, I'll ask them to do something and, and they'll come and they'll kind of look at me, well, why? And, and I'm not trying to be mean and I'm not trying to bring them into this to be funny at all. Because I'm the dad and I've got my reasons for it. We have a father that's got his own plan and purpose for the things that he allows us to go through. And I'll tell my kids, sometimes I'll give them an explanation. There's sometimes I say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to tell you that. Or sometimes I'll say, you can't handle it. If if I did try and explain it, you wouldn't understand it anyway. Anybody else ever had that said to you? And sometimes the things that we go through... You know, we say, well, God, what is... And he could come down and say, you wouldn't understand it anyway. You simply would not understand it anyway. So I'm not going to tell you. That's for a later time. That's for down the road. It'll make sense. Here's the thing. When you look at the end of Joseph's life, or, or the, the end of the story, in Genesis 50, he, he, you've, you've probably noticed this before. His brothers, I'm skipping right ahead. There's a lot of good stuff in the middle. I'm just skipping right to the end of this. His brothers are before him. And they are bowing down before him. And that fulfillment of the scripture is right there in his, and he realizes, oh, this is, this is, what, I, this is what I dreamed. This is it right here. 
And you know that Joseph was sold into slavery and all this kind of stuff. And he says to his brothers, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to the saving of many souls. Joseph in that moment got the realization and the understanding of what he could not make sense of for 13 years or more. And so there's going to be things that you go through that does not make sense. It doesn't add up. But there will come a point in time where you will be able to say and look at the situation and God will reveal to you in the moment, oh, this is why. This is why. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Listen to what Isaiah 55 declares. This is a promise from God. I love this. We saw about mountains a while ago. It says, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace, and the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Isaiah 55 and 12. The mountains breaking forth into singing represents every obstacle being commanded to worship to God. So this is how I visualize this. This is what the scripture means. That the mountains, the struggle, and the difficulties that you are facing in your life and that you will ever face in your life, that as God begins to remove those mountains out of your way, the scripture basically says right there that those obstacles will be in so much awe and astonishment of how God removed them from their life that they will have to step back and worship God themselves. In other words, the very problem, the very obstacle, the very issue, the very person, the very finance, whatever, God's gonna suddenly show up. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. He will open a door that no man can open. He'll close a door if he needs to close a door. And the very mountain, the very obstacle will be so blown away at how God rescues you that it will just have to step back and worship God itself. This, wow, I'm just amazed. That's what it says. In other words, instead of all that appears to be barren and hopeless, all that seems to cause pain, there's going to be fruitfulness in your life. God will not allow the mountains in your life to not have a purpose. They will have a purpose. They will bring about something. It goes on to say in verse 13, and it shall be, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God was saying to Isaiah, yes, and to the people, he was saying, yes, you're going to go through some times of pain. You're going to go through some times of lack. But I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you out. And you will know me in such an intimate way that it will seem as if all nature is clapping her hands at how faithful I have been to you. That's what that verse talks about there. He says, I'm going to take you in your nothingness and in your confusion and in your pain and I will do such a powerful work in you that it will bring glory to my name. That's what God's going to do in this while we wait. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet.